No. N-O. Actually, those are the letters we're going to be covering today. This isn't no. It's the letters N and O in our terms and definitions. It's not N and O. All right. We're trying to get you a yes, not a no. Are you confused? (laughs) Well, you won't be after this. Let's go. What is happening, my How to Buy homies? It is time for another fun-filled edition of What the Hell Does That Mean? It's a glossary. Yay! Glossary time for anyone who's trying to decipher the lingo and the language of buying your first home. So welcome back, homies. If you're new, this is going to be confusing because right out of the gate, I'm going to be coming at you with N and O in the middle of the alphabet. So maybe you should go back to episode 94 and start at A at the very beginning. All right, if you're stubborn and you're still here and it's your first time, I'm your host, David Sedoni, and this is the undisputed educational content provider for all things first-time homebuyer. If you are sick of the rent cycle, you're in the right place. And today we're going to jump right in for all the terms and the definitions for N and O. First up, NHD, that's the Natural Hazard Disclosure. Should be NHDR because it's the Natural Hazard Disclosure Report. But anyway, this is a term you're going to hear a lot throughout the transaction, and you're going to think it's super important. Guess what? (laughs) It's really not. Once you're under contract for a home, you're going to get this giant report that looks huge. And after 16 years of doing real estate, I know this is going to look like this is something you really should check out. And it's super important for you. And I'm absolutely not diminishing it. I understand why this is a thing for a real estate transaction. The way it works is it tells you what's going on in the area that you're buying a home. My guess is that at some point back in the history of buying homes, somebody got ringed on a deal and someone in the government thought that some 58-page report with plot maps and charts and surveys would somehow protect you, the buyer. But keep this in mind, it's only about $100, and these companies send you this giant incomprehensible support, and you're supposed to make sense of it. Sorry, I'm probably pissing off a whole bunch of people in my real estate industry. (laughs) But as we know, that's never been a concern of mine. So the Google definition of the Natural Hazard Disclosure Report is it's a report required by most states, that discloses if the property is located in an area that has a higher risk of natural hazards. So if you just for some reason haven't watched the news and figured out what's going on in your neighborhood, this report will be helpful telling you if you live in a flood hazard zone, an area of potential flooding, high fire severity, a wind area that could substantially increase forest fires. If you're in an earthquake fault zone, which is everybody in my neighborhood, and then what they call a seismic hazard zone. What the difference is between those, I don't know. So yeah, that's an NHD. There you go. Our next N is negative amortization. First, you need to know what the hell amortization is. Oh my God, I can't even say it. Amortization. There. How's that? I am fallible. So you got to know what the hell amortization is before you get into whether or not it's negative or positive, or if maybe it's not negative or positive. Maybe this amortization is just apathetic, like a golf teen. So neutral, just regular old amortization. That refers to the process of paying off a loan with regular payments so that the amount you owe on the loan gradually decreases. Negative amortization happens when the amount that you owe continues to rise because for whatever reason, the structure of the payments don't cover the entire 
amount of the full interest due with the principal for each payment. So needless to say, you don't want negative amortization. So in this episode about N and O, this is an actual no, 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 bad dog. Next up, net monthly income. This is the amount of money that you actually receive in your paycheck. It's also known as after-tax pay. It's also known when you look at your check as WTF. Had to censor myself, but when you see that, you look down and acronym is taking out all your money. Okay, that leads me to today's tip time. I just made this segment up. Look, if you're saving for a home, your net monthly income is big and you got to figure out Hey, what if there's a way I can increase my net monthly income? Well, that means I could use more money to save for a down payment or reduce my debt or get myself ready to buy. So increasing your net monthly income, that's important. Here's the trick. If you are a W-2 employee, that means at one point that when you got the job, you filled out a W-4 tax form. And then every January, you're supposed to get your W-2s. Did you know that every year, if you take those W-2s to your tax person or you do it yourself and you end up getting a refund, that you can actually go back and adjust your W-4. And instead of getting that big refund back, you can actually get your money in small increments up front during the year, which would make it far easier for you to save for a house monthly because you will have increased your what? Net monthly income. Yeah, if you adjust your W-4 deductions with just a slight increase, instead of you getting a big tax refund in April, let's say you get $6,000 back, okay? You could reduce the amount that those stupid little acronyms take out of your paycheck, and then you could get that $6,000 back each month. So that would mean you get $500 a month. And then you can do what you want with that. You can put it in an interest earning savings account, or you can use it to pay down some of your debt that you're paying a high interest on. Either way, it's a great way for you to build up the budget and the savings for you buying a home instead of waiting six, seven, eight, 12 months before you get the money and doing it all in one big chunk. Figuring out the exact deduction, that's a little something extra. You got to talk to a CPA or figure it out on your own. But the reason why I give you this tip is because if you do it every single month, it's a great way to feel like you're making progress towards your home. The next end definition is net worth. Okay, the Google definition. Net worth is the value of a company or individual's assets, including cash, less total liabilities. All right, what does that mean in English? Net worth is what you own minus what you owe. Got it? Over the last 50 years, one of my favorite stats is that a homeowner has, last time I checked, it was 46 times. 46 times larger net worth than someone who rents. Mic drop. For those of you not watching the YouTube, I did it with my microphone on a stick, so it's not as dramatic. Okay, and apparently I just found out if you're just listening to me right now from my video producer that I showed a visual of what I did right there with the microphone. I showed it, but we're not showing it because <laughs> you're listening. Okay, that was fun. Let's get back to the serious stuff. Okay, next up is the non-liquid asset. An asset that cannot be easily converted into cash is non-liquid. That's important to your first-time home buyers because I've seen this happen a lot. It screwed up a lot of deals because you could take all the time you want planning, but you got to know this. Once you get into a deal, everything moves at warp speed. People are going to expect you to have all your money ready to go and ready to go fast. Sure, you've been working for six months to get ready, but you put the offer in, they want everything in a matter of days. So if your money is in these non-liquid assets, 
like retirement funds or stock accounts or an estate, perhaps. Make sure that you know the time it takes to liquidate those assets or get the funds out. Look, I know some money management companies that can take up to three weeks once you put in a request for your money. So if you don't understand or you don't know how the money comes out, be ready. Sometimes even your own checking account can take 48 hours for a big wire. Prepare, prepare, prepare. The next and is a non-conforming loan. Now this gets discussed in the C and J episodes. That's where I talk about conforming loans and jumbo loans. If you need a jumbo loan above the current conforming loan limits, which is currently at $647,200, I don't know. If that's confusing to you, go back and listen to C&J. It's confusing, and I try to explain it back there. But if you're above that and you're in jumbo land, that means you're going to be getting a non-conforming loan, and that usually has different rates and terms. Speaking of terms, how about our next term, note? That's what I used to pass to girls to flirt when I was in grade school. (laughs) Not well, mind you. Definitely not well. But we folded them really cool. A note is, in home and loan terms, the written promise to pay a specified amount under the agreed conditions. It's a term that people will use when they're referring to any sort of loan, the piece of paper, they call that the note. And of course, with a note, sometimes you're going to hear people talk about a note rate. That's your interest rate on the stated note, whatever it is. Okay, that's our ends. Let's move on to the O words. The first one is offer. This is a big one when you're trying to buy a home. So let me give you three Google definitions And then I'm going to give you the real three definitions from a dude who's been doing this for a decade and a half. Google definition of an offer. A formal bid from the home buyer to the home seller to purchase a home generally put in writing. Yeah, that's it. The real deal. Put it on paper, baby. It's going to feel like you're locked into the biggest decision of your life. And a lot of people will freak out and many people sweat like crazy before they sign their first offer. Now, if you're one of those people and you're completely tripping before you sign your first offer, I've got some news for you. Cool. You probably should be. This is a giant deal. Don't freak out that you're freaking out. That's totally normal. Know that. This is a big old deal. In fact, you want to know one of the big reasons for the market crash in 2008? It's because they were giving loans to any idiot with no verification and no money down and no skin in the game. So they would sign an offer like it was no big deal. So yeah, it's okay. It's a big deal. The good news is now you can stress out a little bit and be concerned about it, but you can also be confident in the fact that lending guidelines and qualifications are so much stricter now than they ever have been, that being pre-qualified already puts you well ahead of where most people ever bought a home. So yeah, be cautious, but if you've done your preparation, you don't have to stress out about it. Embrace the stress and know that you're just being a good, cautious person. And here's some things to help take a little more stress out of that moment. Things to de-stressify you. First tip, ask your agent for a contract to review even before you write your first offer. You might have to move fast on your first offer, so might as well be ready to rock. And the second tip, this is a good one for writing an offer. Remember this, in most states and provinces, signing the offer, this is only the beginning of the negotiations. You're not locking yourself into anything when you write that offer. People feel like, oh my God, I don't want to sign this because I'm totally locking it. Relax. You have inspections that can cause a renegotiation. You have an appraisal that can cause a renegotiation. And you have the seller's disclosures that could cause a renegotiation. Are you sensing a theme? Renegotiation. Okay, let's go to Google definition number two for you. 
This one says, the buyer's agent puts the offer in writing, asks you to sign it, and then submits it to the seller's agent. The seller might immediately accept it, in which case it becomes the party's purchase contract, or it may take what's known as a counter offer before you have a complete purchase contract. So what this means is when you write an offer and submit it, yeah, the reason I tell you it's a big deal and you should be ready for it, but not stress out completely is because you could technically be under contract in a matter of minutes if the seller decides to sign it, or you could have a back and forth until the price and terms are negotiated on by all parties. That's what we call counter offers. So yes, understand the gravity, but don't freak out when you write it, be ready to rock, and also have some specific numbers in mind in case counter offers pop up. You should be ready to know what you're gonna take and what you're gonna walk away with when it comes to price and terms well before you see anything back from them on paper. Don't let a counter offer come to you and then you have to sit down and figure it out all night long. Know ahead what your boundaries are, and then you can adjust and make decisions much easier without getting emotions involved. Google definition number three for an offer is buyers make a formal offer on a home they want to purchase. The offer can be the full list price or whatever you and your agent deem a fair market value. Okay, I've got some great advice when it comes to buying a home because I've been through the entire process. And at the beginning, all you're thinking about is the purchase price. Price, 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 price. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You've pretty much most of the things you bought in your life, the purchase price is the end of the negotiations. That's it. This is totally different. You think that the whole buying a car thing and the extras on that negotiation where you have to figure out if you're going to get the floor mats thrown in or the undercarriage coating, that is peanuts. Peanuts, I say, when it comes compared to what happens with a home. So it's going to be really difficult for you to figure this out because you haven't bought anything like this in your life, but don't walk over dollars to pick up dimes. Don't try to win that first negotiation because if you do and you win on the purchase price and you grind them down, well, then the seller, they feel like they lost. And if you love the home, you don't want them to feel like that because there's lots more coming. Don't be a jackass and set yourself up to lose the home that you love later on because you want to feel like you're a tough person and you got the smoking deal when you were talking about the purchase price. So one of the most important pieces that I've learned about the initial offer, this is from 16 years and thousands and thousands of first-time homebuyers here and all over the country. The offer price and terms is the very first of many negotiations, the very first of many. So you're going to be working with that seller needing to make decisions on all those other negotiations coming later on before you get the keys to the home. I'm not saying roll over and play dead, but I am saying set it up nicely so you can have good negotiations moving forward because you're not done. So I've been doing this years and years and years, and I was thinking about this, trying to figure out the best analogy I could get to explain to you guys. And I came up with a baseball analogy. So if you know anything about baseball, you know that sometimes the pitchers will throw at the batters and hit them. And then it becomes this weird unwritten rule thing when when is the other team going to throw back at them and hit their guy? You hit my good guy, so I'm going to hit your good guy. So I've seen buyers come right out when they're trying to negotiate the initial first offer and they throw fastballs right at the batter's head right when they write the offer. Bam! Smack! Right in the head. That's like in the first inning, the first batter, the first pitch, and you throw it right in their ear hole. Then... Imagine that the next pitch, 
is still in the first inning, second pitch of the whole game, but that's the counteroffer. And you throw at their head again. And then another counteroffer comes and you do it to the third batter again. Well, now the first three batters have been up. You've hit every single one. The bases are loaded and we're still in the top of the first inning with no outs. And your entire team still has to come to the plate and face their pitcher who's going to be pissed. Yeah, guess which team is going to get plunked for nine straight innings. And guess who's going to be all over Sports Center with a bench clearing brawl. So I hope that makes sense to you. And I hope that helps you figure out You want to work that kind of a deal to work your way all the way to the position to get your keys? The offer is the first, I say again, the first of many, many negotiations in the deal. I've had lots of deals where I've seen the buyers quote unquote give the sellers an extra $3,000 in the counter offers just so they can get into the deal smoothly and nicely. So great. They set that first negotiation up where the seller feels like they got a little bit of a win. But then after the inspection, they find $5,000 in repairs. And once the seller actually sees that in writing from the neutral third-party specialist, it's a lot easier to ask for chunks of that $3,000 back. And keep in mind, that money is going to be immediate if you get it as a credit, not financed over 30 years like the $3,000 that you negotiated for the price is. So keep that in mind. Know the entire process before you come out guns a-blazing. Our next O is open house. Truth bomb time, gang. The stats are in, and open houses sell less than 4% of the homes listed. I know a lot of people think that open houses are the way that people buy homes. Less than 4% of people walk into an open house and write an offer on that home. Here's the dirty little secret about open houses. They are there for the agent. It's for the agents to get clients, not even to sell the house. And that means the open house is going to be either held by a good listing agent who, seriously, the truth is they don't give a damn about buyers. They're there to get the neighbors to come in and sell their house because all they want is listings. So if you go into their house, they're just going to pass you right on to some newbie agent on their team. This is the number one way that realtors get new clients. Their entire classes on how to build your real estate business through doing open houses. Now, this is not always, all right? Some teams have fabulous buyer's agents you might get passed to. Some teams have fabulous buyer's agents that hold open houses. I've got a bunch of unicorn teams with killer buyer's agents. They're well-trained, they're experienced, and they have the first-time buyer's best intentions at the core of what they do. But they're rare. See, that's why I call them unicorns. In fact, with open houses, most open houses are usually held by the newer agents, and some of them aren't that great. A lot of them don't have a clue how to help buyers. The reason they're there at the open house is because they're trying to get buyers so they can use you to learn how to do their job. See, they've got no clients, and they know if they sit there long enough, eventually someone's going to walk in and start asking them questions. Again, to be fair, there are plenty of good agents that hold open houses. I'll hold open houses sometimes. But this revolution I've started is just beginning, and I'm going to need some time before the entire industry realizes that my podcast has spread the truth and you buyers are looking for better service. So for today, this is your warning, and now you know. Don't be fooled. For reals, any Yahoo with a license can hold an open house. Do not think just because they're holding an open house that they somehow have tons and tons of authority. In fact, I tell people all the time, look, if you go on Google and you Google all the agents in your area, you're going to get hundreds. You walk into one open house, what are the odds that person is the exact right agent for you? 
Our next O is the original principal balance. That's the total amount of principal owed on the mortgage before any payments are made, your initial opening principal. Then our next O is open-ended credit. This is really important for you guys who are trying to work on your credit. Open-ended credit is also known as non-installment or revolving credit. And you should definitely know what revolving credit is if you're trying to work on your credit score. And this is going to be very important if you're trying to become a homeowner because a home equity line of credit is an example of an open-ended credit. That's different from a home equity loan. A line of credit on your home is going to be known as a HELOC, home equity line of credit. Now, the key to know is once you buy your first home, if you get a HELOC, remember, that's going to be counted to your credit score just like credit cards. It reports like a revolving credit line. So if you don't know what all that means and you end up buying a house because of the podcast, rad, don't get a HELOC until you figure all that out. Okay, this next one is option period, and I'm going to piss a bunch of people off right now. This is for Texas only. Why would I give a definition for a term only used in Texas? Well, because Texans made me do it. So that gives me a chance to tell all you people from Texas, seriously, will you just secede already? We get it. Everything's bigger in Texas. The stars are bright and you love your state. But seriously, you have to come up with your own term that only your state uses for the contingency period. <laughs> there, have I offended you? Did I piss you off? <laughs> rad. Look, I said rad because I'm from California. So y'all can just chill for a second if you didn't realize that I was joking. I realize and understand and I'm actually trying to help you out by taking the time to talk to you Texans right now and explain this thing that's just for y'all. So Texans have what's called an option period, which is the O word and why we're here. For the rest of us, it's known as the contingency period, the condition period, due diligence period, and they all act similarly. But in Texas, you just get the option period. It's a termination period that is a form of a due diligence period. However, it's only available to a buyer who separately purchases this right for a negotiable amount of money and for a negotiable period of time. When a buyer uses this, basically they've purchased the right to terminate the contract. We strongly encourage that you get all of your inspections and other due diligence performed during the option period time frame. It's not required for you to do it, but you're gonna lose your deposit if you don't stay within the time frame. So that's what Google says. And I'm telling you, don't go beyond a time frame. It can just get messy and Y'all don't want to open that can of worms, you hear? If the buyer does choose to terminate the contract within the option period, then the earnest money is contractually supposed to be released back to the buyer. That's what the contract says, so make sure that you and your realtor understand and know everything that's going to work to make sure you secure your deposit. Next, we get to origination and origination fees. This is one of those terms I just want you to listen to right now, so when you get into the deal, you go, oh yeah, I remember that. This is just your loan fees. Okay, it's the process of preparing, submitting the loan documents for the purchase of a home at the specified price and interest rate. That's the big Google thing. But this is the fee you pay the lender. So this is them making the loan happen. The origination fee is what you're going to pay for the administration costs, processing loan application, underwriting and funding the loan. And it's going to be paid as part of your closing costs. Yet another reason why, because origination fees can vary from lender to lender, that your closing costs vary all the time, and I can never tell you exactly what they are. 
I get asked about this next term all the time, owner financing. Yeah, owner financing is a thing, but really it used to be a thing. And it's usually not something that works for anybody buying a home in the 21st century. What it means is that the seller decides to be the bank and they give you the loan instead of the bank. All I can say is if you can't get a loan from a bank, the seller is going to give you a loan instead. Who do you think makes out better on that deal? Another term you need to be aware of is an owner-occupied property. That means very simply that you are living in the house that you're buying. And they're going to talk to you about these terms and they're going to say that that property serves as your primary residence. That's another term you're going to hear a lot. And yes, this can be your owner-occupied property if you rent part of it out, but you still live in another part. And our final O is owner's title insurance. Owner's title insurance provides protection to the homeowner if somebody sues and says that they have a claim against the home after you've already purchased the place. That's almost always paid for by the seller since they're the ones guaranteeing that they're the real person selling the home, not some dude on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace pretending that they own the home. Okay, that's it. That is the N and the O of it all. If you want more educational content for yourself, you can get plenty more on the YouTube page. Check it out at How to Buy a Home Podcast. And of course, you can always find me on TikTok at, at How to Buy Home. And on Instagram, I'm at David Sedoni because there's some moron took at How to Buy a Home and is squatting on it. Everything you need to know is at howtobuyahome.com, including the starter kit if you don't know where to start. And I'll close with this fact again. The number one thing that buyers have told me after all the years that I've been doing this is they always say, man, David, I wish I'd prepared sooner. I wish I'd started with my pro team sooner, both on the real estate side and on the lending side. Now, I tell you this so that you can thrive and prosper. I tell you this because nobody told me when I was in my 20s and I lost so much money when I was renting for all those years and I totally didn't have to. I mean, why else would I dedicate an entire half hour of my freaking life to talk about the definitions of N and O? Seriously, my video guy is falling asleep right now. So look, this is for you. Don't just listen. Take action. You can do this.